How do you then go about telling your story in a way that convinces people that you're the person for them? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Stay Hungry podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest, Laurie Burrows, talking to us about how to create content that does conversion for you. Laurie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, uh, for the uninitiated out there, who are you and why should we listen to you? (laughs) Hey, I am Laurie Burrows. I teach businesses how they can add more revenue to their business by Mm -hmm. turning their expertise into a course or a program. Nice. I started my business back in 2019 and within two years managed to scale it and hit my first ever six-figure month as a new mom and also whilst grieving the loss of my dad and my nan, unfortunately, but all through my content. Why? Wow. So let's unpack that a little bit to start with. What made you decide to do this? So I've known for a very, very long time since I was a kid that I wanted to start my own business. Mm -hmm. And for many years I tried. I remember when I was 11 years old, going around to all my family's houses, knocking on their doors, asking if I could clean to make some money. (laughs) Nice. So I wanted to start a business for so long. But when it came to starting my career... I'd start businesses and then I'd give up on myself. I'd go back to corporate and it was just this vicious cycle until my last job where I was head of marketing for a company. I just had enough. I was only there for six months, but I was just so fed up of how I was being treated. I was fed up of clock watching all day, every day, having someone tell me my worth, having someone steal my ideas. And I just knew I had to get out of it. So in 2019, I started researching about businesses and what businesses could I take that start that I could actually take seriously this time. And I came across the world of coaching, mentoring and online training. And it just seemed perfect. It brought together my passion for marketing as well as my passion for training. So I started the business and made it that much of a non-negotiable that a month later I handed in my notice to give myself no choice to not give up this time. Nice. Nice. Okay. And then fast forward a year and COVID hits. What did that mean for you? So COVID actually was in my favors for my business. Um, A lot of other businesses were moving into the online space and that's Mm -hmm. what I supported with. I supported with businesses coming into the online space and then started specializing in these businesses, creating more passive revenue by having a course or program within their business. 2019 was a bit of an odd year for me. I did nearly give up the business again. So I made it that much of a non-negotiable. I handed my notice, but it got to the end of 2019. And I thought, would it just be easier to go back to corporate? Because then I don't have to worry about getting clients. Mm -hmm. And I just felt a little bit burnt out and a little bit overwhelmed. Like I had a glorified nine to five because I kept taking on all of these one-to-one clients and doing all of these sales calls. But then moving into 2020, I realized that actually I didn't need to do that. I also found out I was pregnant. So Mm -hmm. I kind of had no choice but to one, change my business model and I couldn't really go back to corporate. So that's where I then turned my expertise into a course. And then COVID hit and my course just flew off the shelves. It was just selling so, so well. That's amazing. That's absolutely awesome. So... You find yourself pregnant, 
you're selling a course to the masses, so a little bit less one-to-one. You're suffering some losses in your personal life. What made you carry on? Definitely my little boy. When I found out I was pregnant, it was very unexpected. By unexpected, um, I'd only met my husband six weeks prior. <laughs> now husband. <laughs> so it was very, very unexpected. I didn't know that I wanted to be a mum. And it was actually the day I sold my first ever course is when I found out I was pregnant. A little voice just popped into my head. I had no signs, no symptoms. A little voice just popped into my head, told me I was pregnant. Seven tests later, definitely confirmed it. <laughs> <laughs> so I started the business because it was, for me, I just wanted freedom. I didn't want to have a nine to five. I didn't want to have someone controlling how I spent my time. And when I started this business, I only wanted to make 5K per month just okay. more than what my corporate was paying me and to have a very comfortable lifestyle with what we could afford here where I live. So that was it. But then as soon as I found out I was pregnant, it just completely changed. It became so much more than just me. And I had a tough childhood mm-hmm. and I didn't want my little boy to go through the same. So as a new mum, absolutely exhausted. And when I was grieving the loss of my dad and then a few months later, my nan, what kept me going is just him. To remind myself, this is why I'm doing it. It wasn't for me. It was so I could be a full-time mum as well. Amazing. You may or may not know, part of the reason this podcast is called The Stay Hungry Podcast is because I don't want my family to go through the same as what I went through growing up. So that's really, that's touching. Um, So... Something you've mentioned there, which would be really interesting for small business owners listening to this podcast. What does a 100K month look like compared to a 5K month? Oh, that's a really good question. (laughs) So when it was a 5K month, it was just me. I was doing Mm -hmm. everything myself. So you've got to remember when we talk about 100K, that's not 100K profit. Sure. So 100K cash hitting the bank. Um. So when, when you're at 5K, you're doing everything yourself. So everything was me. I was wearing all of the hats. I was responsible for absolutely everything in my business, all of the marketing, all of the client work, all of the admin. But when you're really looking to scale to those bigger numbers, it's no longer just you. And this is how I was able to really scale and also have that time to be a mom and grieve mm. it's because over time as my business generated more money, rather than keeping all of that money to myself, which is a mistake that quite a few entrepreneurs make in the earliest stages, because it's exciting. You're getting all of this money, you want to keep it all. But instead of doing that, I made sure I reinvested back into the business so I could then grow a team and get more support and set up systems and processes that then allowed me to automate a lot of things, but also then allowed me to not wear all of the hats in my business. So I could really just focus on the growth yeah. rather than working in the business. Yeah, no, that's, that's very similar to us, that uh, 100K month on paper sounds really exciting, but a lot of that money is reinvested to make sure yeah. systems continue to operate automations. The amount you spend on software is terrifying. Uh, the tax. <laughs> t- tax and payroll, yeah. Pay- payroll's always fun. But at the same time, something you've mentioned there and this certainly happened in our business is when you have adversity it forces you to make different decisions and sometimes that adversity works well for the business 
Yeah. So you've set up this business. Um, you're still not sure whether you're going to go back to the corporate world. The number one thing you don't like is getting one-to-one clients at the time. I'm not saying you didn't like working with them. But what changed in your world that flipped how many people you were attracting? I think for me, in terms of the people I was attracting, it was just really focusing. And it's still now one of our biggest focus focuses within the business is making sure that I was getting visible. Yeah. And I was getting myself known as the go-to expert for what I did. Mm. A lot of the time we find that when people are starting out, they think it can be as simple as posting content. I mean, sometimes it can be if you've got a really like ready to buy audience, but it's so much more than just posting content. You've got to think about how else can you get visible and how else can you get known in the online space? Yeah, for sure. So what's, I guess, what's the number one bugbear for you that you see people getting wrong with their content, trying to sort their positioning out? So, oh, blimey, there's a few. (laughs) Well, let's go top three. (laughs) Let's, I think, yeah, one of the biggest bugbears is when I see someone sounding like someone else. Mm. A lot of people, they'll go to their competitors and influencers to get inspiration, but they end up sounding just like them. Their content doesn't sound unique. It doesn't sound different at all. And it kind of just sounds like, regurgitated top tips that we've had a hundred times a thousand times maybe even more before yeah yeah there's so many people out there that sound like gary v or tony robbins and (laughs) and and then you know they've mentored people who mentor people who mentor people and the the tonality passes down yeah i can um tell in the online space now who's who's mentors who's from just yeah 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 so funny pretty much the same thing (laughs) okay what about uh your other two top bugbears so yeah the first one being sound like everyone else the other one is having more i guess how trying to think of the best way to put it more generic content more like educational content not bringing in you not bringing your personality and your story and really thinking about what makes you stand out? We have to remember there's other people out there doing what we do. We all have competition. Even though sometimes we don't want to admit it, we all have competition. And we can be in very saturated industries as well. So why would someone choose you over someone else? Yeah. And people aren't going to know that unless you get it in your content. So it's such a tricky one for people who, I think young, the younger generation coming up know no different they telling their story is part of their game plan and and i love that but when you meet people who perhaps had to transition during covid to the Mm. online space they're so used to the stiff upper lip british way of doing things that when you say oh actually people need to know your backstory they need to understand your motivation your why your purpose it's like a rabbit in the headlights yeah completely agree so and your third bugbear and then the third bug, but I had it a moment ago and it just completely went from my head as we were talking about that because I was thinking then so in-depthly about my story. I'd say the third one being making your content too much about you and not actually what your ideal client wants to hear. Nice. 
nice. So we uh, we call that We FM. What's in it for me? Um, yeah. <laughs> so everyone wants to tune into We FM, and uh, the the rule in house at Codebreak. We just had a session on this actually. Is every time you mention yourself, you need to mention them three times. Yeah, I love uh, that. And and it's really it's really interesting because like an expert like yourself, you're pushing people to tell their story, but you need to learn how to tell your story from a way that other people can relate. Yeah, yeah. So, on that note, there are your three bugbears. What's what's the opposite way to do things? What's the way that you can use your story, use your content to generate conversation and conversions? So I think one of the biggest ways is actually doing research with your ideal client. Mm -hmm. And it shocks me when I work with clients, how many of them, even clients who have hit six, even seven figures in their business, they don't do any market research whatsoever. Mm. A lot of people, I think, think it's just something you do at the beginning of your business and in the earlier stages of your business. But even now, we are continuously doing research with our clients and learning about them learning about what they are investing in, what they're not investing in, how much they're willing to invest, learning about their customer journey. So with what they're investing in, why? What were the stepping stones between either realizing they had a problem or realizing that they want to invest to then actually converting? Because the more you understand the stepping stones that your ideal clients are going through, when they know they want to purchase or they have a problem all the way through to converting, the better you're going to be able to prove your strategy and then that content within the strategy as well. Yeah, no, I love that. I think something we see time and time again, we tell people, who's your ideal client? And the amount of businesses that say, oh, I don't have one, that's that's bad in itself. But um, when you're like, okay, so what are they interested in? Where do they hang out? What do they spend their money on? What does their family situation look like? What kind of house do they live in? And I'd say 80% of the businesses we speak to don't know that those simple things. Yeah, it, it shocks me. Sure. So when you do know those things, what difference does it make? So I've got a great example. Actually, I was on a call this morning with one of our clients and she was struggling to sell that's why she came to me and she simply went and did some market research and she's just within a week completely sold out her program why because by going out and doing that market research she found out what her ideal client's biggest problems were so she was assuming before she knew Mm. and then when she actually found out what their biggest problems were she was able to create an offer around that but also then make sure her content really speaking to those problems and to the end result that that they desired she was also able to learn what led her ideal clients to purchasing so for example was it particular stories was it more relatable content was it when they see social proof and then that helped to inform her marketing strategy and the content she was putting out there that's awesome so what does that mean financially for her so this week financially i think is around 10k We've had another client who's done something similar and she's hit 22K. Oh, yeah, I saw your post about that one. That's, uh, <laughs> that's brutal. Like, uh, and, and obviously, a lot, of the, a lot of these clients are yours. It's literally they're selling a course online. Once it's built, once, once they step back and sell it, that, there's a lot of profit in what they're doing. And so 
getting their content bang on, getting their messaging bang on is, is really, really valuable to them. Yeah, that is what makes them the money. Okay. So um, we've covered kind of the market research piece, understanding who your audience is and what they want from you. How do you then go about telling your story in a way that convinces people that you're the person for them? So whenever you're creating a story, it needs to be relatable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people start putting stories out there that have nothing to do with actually what they're selling. Mm. And one of the, well, the biggest reason people purchase from a particular brand is because they trust that brand. Another reason people purchase is because of human connection. So when you share your story, even if you don't realize it, you're actually building a relationship with your audience and they're beginning to feel connected to you. So the more you get to understand your ideal client, the more you're going to also be able to look at your story and how does that relate? I have so many stories. When I was writing out my story, I thought as far back as possible of when I wanted to start a business, which was from about eight years old when my my parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. And I saw my dad have this, what I thought at the time was a very luxury lifestyle. He could buy what he wanted whenever he wanted. But then on the flip side, I lived with my mum and I remember her telling me I had to ration the shampoo. I remember putting it on my hand saying, you can only use that much because we couldn't afford anymore. Mm. So all the way back from that story and then writing down all of the stories and everything that I've been through since, I was then able to pull out the stories that my audience are really going to relate yeah. to. The biggest one being a mum and that I scaled the business around being a mum a lot of my clients, they come to me because they're either parents themselves or they've experienced something in their life like grief. So they want to learn now, how do we create a business and how do we show up when we can't show up? Yeah, yeah. And true relationships are built on empathy, right? So they understand that you empathize with their situation and they empathize with yours and therefore you're the right person to help them. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And it's really interesting you mentioned that. So it sounds like we've had relatively similar lives. I remember rationing food and shampoo and toothpaste as a kid. If I use that story and I'm speaking to a relatively highbrow audience, it doesn't land. And it's not because they're wrong or I'm wrong. It's because they cannot empathize with that story because it's never happened to them. And so you have to use a different, a different story from your bank. How do you know how to adjust or is that kind of something that you need to practice i think it comes over time the more you share your content the more you're going to be able to see which content really resonates Mm -hmm. so when i started my business i was sharing various different stories from my childhood to when i started my first business a big one that i shared was always giving up on myself yeah my first business was when i was 16 and then i'd give up on myself and i start again and i give up on myself So it was these stories and putting them out there, I began to see which ones people were resonating with. And the biggest thing that I do is whenever we sign a new client, I ask them, why? Why did you invest in me? What was it about me that led you to investing? And what stepping stones did you take before you invested? And a lot of the time, they'll then tell me about my content and what it was about my content that really resonated. So we know, based on that, the biggest piece is my mum life. Yeah, yeah. And mum life is something that any demographic can relate to, right? 
Yeah. And much like giving up on yourself is something any demographic can relate to. And that's that's something that we try and coach into our clients is pull the stories that are going to be most relatable to the largest cross-section of your niche rather yeah. than, you know, like I can pull out some pretty crazy stories, but if I say, oh, this time I fell off a gate and got rushed to hospital, everyone goes, yeah, what, what's that got to do with anything sort of thing? It's it, Whereas if you can say, look, I was down and out, I needed to double down on the business, I sold my house and reinvested in myself, people go, bloody hell, because that applies to any level. Mm, yeah. Okay, so we know how to draw people in with the story. We know the kind of stories to tell. How do you then go about presenting that? So people absorb content in different ways. Some people love reading long posts. Some people don't. Some people love video content. Some people don't. Some people love signing up to all of the emails and some people don't. So the biggest thing to do is then once you've got your story is think about how are you including that within your content and mm -hmm. what different types of content are you going to use? So we use a mixture. We have our emails, we have long form content, short form content. We do video content so we can then get it to our audience in different ways. If you only ever do long form posts, you're potentially leaving a lot of money on the table for people who don't read long form. I know yeah. I don't read long form. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. And what about frequency? So frequency we do daily. Okay. Because, well, probably even more than that now. It's increased since I've had the team. The reason being is, and there's lots of different advice and guidance out there on there, out there, but the reason I recommend daily is because, again, there's other people out there doing what you do. Yep. We're surrounded by marketing messages. Yep. Tens of thousands every single day. And we want to be visible. We don't want someone to forget about us. So if you just post once a week, there is competitors out there more visible posting every single day and you could get lost amongst the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Hugely. I mean, we speak to clients about emailing daily and they look at us with horror. And, and I, have, I have to remind them that just because you don't like receiving an email every day, doesn't mean that your audience doesn't, it doesn't mean that, a quarter of your audience doesn't and that could be the difference between a 20 grand month and a 50 grand month it's yeah it's absolute carnage so we've sorted the content piece as such and the storytelling how do you then make sure that people see you as an expert when perhaps your story isn't getting that over so everyone started the business for a reason mm -hmm. and it's because they either have a story it's because they have experience in something so when I started my business it was because all of my career eight years prior all my experience was in marketing that's all I'd ever done it's all I'd ever studied was business and marketing so for me when I first entered the space I didn't have tons of testimonials I didn't say all oh, this clients had a 20k week I had none of that so I had to really use my story and my evidence. People, to build that trust, people need to see the evidence. We see a lot of people in the online space saying they can help hit someone hit 10K months or hit this and hit that and do this and do that, but they then struggle to sell. Yeah. And the reason they're struggling to sell is they can have the most desirable, tangible result, but they need to have the evidence to back it up. 
So if you've started a business, it's like because you are experiencing something. Yeah. So what evidence can you share with your audience that you are experienced in that and that you are the one to help them? Yeah, absolutely. And what kind of evidence, if you haven't got case studies, because a lot of people starting out for the first time or even established in business haven't got the case studies for what they're about to do, what can you pull together instead? So for myself, the my was all from corporate. Yeah. So I shared stories of working in corporate and I was able to share some print screens that I had from analytics from working in corporate. So I shared stories of what I'd done in corporate. So with one company, they were struggling to sell their 12K package. So they hired me to go in. I then revamped their entire strategy and they sold out of every single spot on that 12K package in our week marketing campaign that we did for it. So I could share stories like that. But then the other thing that I did was for the first few months of my business, I didn't sell anything at all. And it was deliberate. I deliberately didn't sell anything because... I focused on growing my audience Mm. and becoming known as the go-to expert through sharing my experience, sharing my stories. But another thing that I did was because I was supporting in marketing and strategy is I used that three months to get my evidence. So I started by building a Facebook group from scratch. So people could watch me grow this group. And within a few months, I can't remember now how many people we had in it, but my first ever offer that I launched was on how to grow a Facebook group. But because I'd had the evidence and people had been watching me on the online space, starting from scratch to suddenly having this group with a couple of thousand people in, they were then intrigued on how I was doing that. So I found a way to then have that like live evidence of showing people, look, you've just watched me do this. Yeah, almost a demo. So, yeah, no, I love that. And I guess like for the people out there who... Because I see so many people offer zero social proof or of any kind, and yet I know they're good. How do they overcome that barrier from share, from never sharing their results because for some reason they think it's unprofessional to shouting about themselves from the rooftops? Yeah, it's always scary Like when we begin to share social proof. One thing that we always do is we always ask our clients, can we share it? And you'll be surprised how many clients actually want you to share their results because they're so proud of themselves for getting them results. They've got them results themselves. We've just been here to support and guide them. So a lot of the time you'll actually find that the clients and the people you're working with will be more than happy for you to shout them out. And even if they don't want their names, so sometimes if people don't want their names, we'll just adapt them but they're still really happy that we're celebrating them publicly because that makes them feel really good as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good mindset to have is that you're not uh, boasting, you're celebrating. And and it's slightly, it is different. You're not, you're basically saying, would you like to work with us? This is what we've done before. Not, would you like to work with us? Look how bloody good I am. it It is different. It's a slightly different tone. Okay, I've got two more questions for you. Uh, one very serious, one not so serious, but I ask all <laughs> guests these. Uh, question one, what's the best mistake you've ever made? The best mistake? Oh, blimey. <laughs> should have sent these questions beforehand so I could have had a quick no, answer. No, no, I like, I I like made, to trick people into this one. I've made a lot of mistakes in business. I mean, it's not something... 
people share enough. I mean, we do. We actually share a lot of our mistakes on yeah. social media, and that's why people love us because we share the good, the bad, and the ugly. I guess that's something we haven't quite touched on is that by sharing your story, um, you're being vulnerable. And by being vulnerable, you're actually opening yourself up to be trusted. Yeah. And so many people are afraid to do that because they think vulnerability shows weakness and actually it's the opposite. Yeah, it's teaching people... Well, it's one that's relatable content. People love when I say, okay, I've really messed up. I made this huge mistake or, oh, my launch didn't go to plan. People love it because they're like, oh, okay, that is normal. It is okay. So it's relatable. Yeah, yeah. But it's then showing people it's okay to make mistakes. It happens to all of us. It's just a lot of people don't share it. Yeah, and successful people are just willing to lose more than non-successful people. The reality is I've lost 10 times before the person opposite me has thought about winning. Yeah. And that, so sorry, back to the original question. What's the best mistake you've ever made? Best mistake. So I would say it's probably the early stage of my business. The best mistake was taking on way too many clients at once. Mm-hmm. It was great for the money side. I was making more money than I ever had. But I then got burnt out and exhausted and nearly gave up my business and then nearly burnt the entire thing to the ground. But if I hadn't gone through that and gone through the stress, the overwhelm, nearly wanting to burn everything to the ground... I went up then in 2020 celebrating 200K in my first year of business. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that kind of teetering on burnout is pretty much where systems and processes are born. Yeah. <laughs> like you'll never do it unless unless you reach that point because you'll never see the value in them. Yeah. <laughs> and then my slightly gentler question, what's your favorite film and why? Oh, what is my favorite film and why? What films do I watch a lot of? See, a lot of the time when I watch films, it ends up being whatever my husband wants to watch. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think generally everyone has, like, that go-to film where, I don't know, if you're feeling ill or something, what film would you put on? See, for me, it wouldn't be a film, it would be Friends. Okay, okay, <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. And And why? Uh, why? Because it's so relatable. I just, I love the whole journey of friends, how they all start sort of around 24 and by the time they're 30, they're not all married and kids and all like high flying careers. It's like, it's actual real life. Yeah. Yeah. It's not actually a comedy. <laughs> That's the, well, you know what I mean? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, it's true though. Right. That actually there's jokes throughout, but what's actually going on is, it's pretty close to home. Yeah, it's relatable. Yeah, cool. Laurie, you've been an awesome guest. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, Instagram. Cool. So just search Laurie Burrows and I will pop up on Instagram. Wicked. Thanks so much for being an awesome guest. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Stay Hungry podcast and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Now, if you're looking to sort your marketing out, visit fixmymarketing.co.uk and get in touch today.